There are some sections of scripture that stand out as especially powerful and packed with meaning. Romans chapter 8 is one of those sections. Filled with truth after truth and stuff chock full of grace, hope, and freedom in Christ, our teachers look forward to delving into this chapter with you. Join us as we learn about how there is no condemnation or accusation for those who follow Jesus. Learn how the Spirit and Jesus both pray for us. Listen to how our suffering is nothing compared to what God eventually has in store for us. Learn about how there is nothing in all this world that is powerful enough to ever separate us from the love of Christ. Live in it with us this month and expect your life to be changed. I am really excited. I've got some great news for you today. We finally got a, a letter back from, uh, from Paul. I haven't, had, I haven't had a chance to read it all yet. Um, well, let me just read you. Maybe I should mention, because some of you maybe are new to the faith. Well, all of us are pretty new to the faith. But anyway, we just had a lot of questions about um, you know, what it means to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. We sort of didn't know who to ask. So anyway, we, we sent a letter to Paul just laying out uh, all of our questions, and they must have tracked him down. Anyway, we got a letter back. Um, here's part of what it says. It says this, uh, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Um, We know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believe we believers also groan, um, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. Duh. Um, so, So if we look forward to something we don't have, we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And then he goes on to say, um, so the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Uh, For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit, listen, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words, and the Father who knows our hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory um, we'll read, read more of this uh, in the coming weeks, but we're excited about this reply from Paul. Now, that kind of corny beginning to my teaching 
was done with a purpose, I hope. Uh, as we're looking at this eighth chapter of the book of Romans, if we're going to understand it, one of the things, one of the basic things we need to understand is that it was not written as a book of the Bible, right? It was written as a letter, a letter to some early Christians living in the city of Rome. I mean, try to put yourself back into that kind of position. So um, Jesus lives in Israel. He um, is crucified, resurrected. That's probably about A.D. 33, maybe. And over the next couple decades, news about Jesus and believers in Jesus spread out all over, going as far even as Rome and so let's say you were a Roman citizen, and you'd been brought up believing in the pantheon of Roman gods, you know, Zeus and Apollo and Venus and those kinds of gods, and somebody comes to you and explains to you about the one true God, and that he became a person, Jesus, who lived in Israel, he died and came back to life, and, and they express a way that you can come into a relationship with this true God through Jesus, and you become a believer, so what happens then? So there are enough believers probably that there were groups of believers meeting together in homes in other places around the city of Rome. But what do, what do you believe, really? How much do you know? I mean, they would not have had uh, the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They would not have had probably the other letters that are included in the New Testament. But they would have had a lot of questions. Because a lot of things that I would guess those early Christians expected to happen didn't happen. And things that they thought would be true turned out not to be so true. I would guess a lot of them thought, boy, I'd become a believer in Jesus and everything goes smoothly from that point on. But it didn't. And in fact, in Rome, Christians suffered a lot of persecution because of their faith. So I would guess that when they wrote to Paul the apostle, one of the leading evangelists and theologians and missionaries of the church at that time, they probably laid out a lot of those questions for him. Like, um, we didn't expect all this suffering. There's so much pain among those of us who are believers, and we don't understand why it's happening and how we're going to get through it. And so Paul writes back this letter that we call the book of Romans. And remember, it wasn't divided into chapters and verses. It was a letter that they received. And so what we're looking at today and each of these four weeks is just from a part of that letter that Paul wrote to those first century Christians living in the city of Rome. I'm feeling really old today. I, uh, I just turned 75 on Friday, 75, yeah, yeah, I think anybody who survives that long deserves a standing ovation. <laughs> my goodness, I, I have arthritis in my hands that hurt a lot, I have bursitis in one hip, I have tennis elbow, and much to the delight of my family and friends, I got a hearing aid this summer. But what's happening to me is going to happen to all of you eventually as well. The longer we live, the more our bodies fall apart, subject to decay and ultimately to death. And so Paul addresses that issue in the beginning of this section of this letter that he wrote to the Romans. Because they were probably wondering why that was, why that was taking place and why they as Christians were still subject to that. And Paul lays out the reason for that going all the way back to the Jewish Old Testament. 
saying it really goes back to what we call the fall, that first sin, that first act of disobedience by our first human parents, Adam and Eve. They chose to disobey God, and the result of that was so enormous that it not only affected Adam and Eve physically, their bodies, and all of their ancestors, Paul says it even affected the earth itself, that the earth is subject to to decay and death, as are all of us as well. Let me read you verse 20 from this section of Romans chapter 8. It says, so against its will, all creation was subjected to God's God's, um, curse, but with eager hope. Now, it may be a little hard for us to understand why Adam and Eve's disobedience was so catastrophic that it would affect all of humanity and even the earth itself. And I think to understand that, we've got to kind of remind ourselves of who God is and what he is like. You see, Adam and Eve didn't just choose to disobey God. They were, in a sense, saying to God the God of creation, the God of glory, the God who is totally pure and without fault, this God who was the father to them, a God who placed them in this paradise that we call Eden, a God whom the Bible says came down each evening and walked with them in the cool of the day. They said to that God, you're a liar. You're not telling us the truth. In fact, you don't even love us because you're trying to keep us from things that are going to be really good for us. And they were believing the lies that Satan told them rather than the truth that God had told them. And for somebody to do that to the God of the universe, it was catastrophic. And human beings and the world itself changed at that moment. And so Paul says we're dealing now today, and in that time and when he wrote uh, to those first Christians, we're dealing with the results of that today. The earth is affected And so are all of us. And so Paul goes on to say, but even in the midst of pain and suffering and decay and death, there is hope. In the 23rd verse, he says this, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait Get this, with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised to us. So there's the first part of this this encouragement that God wants to give to them in the face of the suffering that they're going through. He's saying, even though the earth and humanity was cursed, there is hope. God gives us hope. Now, we need to understand that in the Bible, when the Bible uses the word hope, and remember in the New, the New Testament it was written in Greek, that word hope is almost the opposite of the way we use hope today. When we talk about hope, it's sort of wishy-washy, right? We hope something goes to happen, is going to happen, but it's probably not going to, you know? Oh, I wish this would happen. I hope it does, but I don't know. The way the word hope is used in the Bible is... It's a firm, solid hope. It's a conviction. It's something that you know is going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. And when Paul says that the earth itself and all of humanity is subjected to this this decay and death, ultimately, it's with hope, though, 
a sure confidence that something better is going to happen. And what is that? Paul says there's going to be a new earth and there are going to be new bodies. And those of you who are suffering, hang on because there is hope. You know? And so Paul says that really what we're suffering today, if we look at it in the right perspective, can be handled, can be gotten through. In verse 18, he says, you know, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Amazing, isn't it? Now, Paul isn't making light of our suffering at all, but he's saying if you can can keep this perspective, maybe it'll help you get through these hard times. And the perspective is from God's angle. You see that the, that the suffering we're going through now, the pain that we endure is nothing compared to the glory that awaits us. Paul says new bodies, new earth, a new existence, which is going to so far surpass anything that we've experienced in this life. It's somehow going to allow us to be able to look back on it and realize that we were subjected to it in hope. Now, Paul isn't making light of their suffering. Paul knew what it was like to suffer. He had suffered a lot himself. If you read through the book of Acts, which is largely a count of of Paul's missionary journeys, his life as a Christian, you you see that again and again and again he had to suffer. In 2 Corinthians, he kind of lays some of that out. Here's what he wrote in chapter 11 there. He said, so five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Let's stop there for just a minute. This is not a spanking. I mean, this was beating that was so intense that they thought you would die if you got 40 lashes. So they limited it to 39. Five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me the 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. I'm going through the book of Acts with with a young friend, and we just recently read about a place where Paul is in one city, and the the Jews get so upset with him, they drag him outside the city to stone him. You know what that is? They take big stones, and they throw it at the person until they die. And they stoned Paul, and they thought he was dead from the stoning. And so they wash their hands of it, and they go back in the city, and the Christians come out to collect his dead body, and they find out that Paul is not quite dead yet. Did Paul understand suffering? Yeah. He went through the lashings, the beatings. He was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I faced dangers in the city, in the desert, and on the seas. I faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Paul isn't saying your, your suffering isn't real. It doesn't hurt. Paul's saying, I understand what that's like. But he says, in one way, an example he gives is childbirth, you know, a subject of which I am imminently totally unprepared to talk about at all, except, you know, I see it in movies, you know, and it looks like it's terrible, terrible. Anybody agree with that? Yeah. Can I have an amen? So, yeah. So, so Paul is saying, you know, why would a person go through that? 
Why would you choose to go through childbirth when you know it's going to be pain and suffering? And the reason is because you know what lies on the other side. Because you know the joy that's going to come from being a mother. In fact, that's, that very same Understanding is given about Jesus, who, who, of whom it said, you know, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Why would Jesus go through the suffering, the agonies of the cross? Because he knew what lay on the other side. And Paul says, you've got to have that mentality in your suffering as well. Yeah, it's real. It's terrible. I feel for you. But keep in mind what's on the other side, the hope of glory, the new bodies that God is going to give to us, and it's going to be wonderful. Verse, verse 21 says this, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So that's the promise of God. There is a, a future glory coming that hasn't even been revealed to us yet where we're going to get new bodies. There's going to be a new earth. And it, maybe it's because I'm getting older, but that vision of, of heaven um, becomes really real and personal. Um, I love the movie... Um, field of dreams and the thing i like about it most is the very end of the movie when kevin costner gets to meet his dad and his dad who has died and does he meet his dad as an old man no his dad is in the prime of his life he's a he's a baseball player you know and kevin gets to meet him you know and spend some time with him my dad died a lot of years ago I've got a picture at home of my dad when he was a young buck. You know, he's probably in his early 20s, and he's standing with his foot up on the, on the running board of the car, you know, looking cool. And I get to think, I'm going to get to meet my dad in heaven someday. And it's not going to be two old men. Dad, is that you? What, son? Is that you? <laughs> my dad's going to be in his prime, and so am I. Throw away the hearing aid, you know. God is promising us a glory to come, and, and the hope is, you know, that that will help us through the times of suffering. Let me just talk a minute to those of you who are uh, in a place of suffering today, uh, because God recognizes, and the Bible talks about, and we understand that there are some people who are living with constant pain, physical pain that never goes away. Physical pain where you know tomorrow is going to be as bad or worse than today was. And to get up the next day and to go through the next day and the next day must be incredibly hard. And it isn't even just, uh, it isn't even just uh, physical pain, is it? You know, it can be emotional pain, mental pain. Depression can be a terrible thing that robs you of every bit of joy and satisfaction and purpose in life, just gives you, robs you of all that hope. That depression and discouragement, anxiety, worry can just eat away at us till it robs us of all the joy that we ought to be able to have in life. There's so many ways in which people suffer. And I want to say to you, on the basis of the word of God, his promise to us, take heart, have hope, you know, that there is a better day coming. And I wish I could promise to you that you would be healed in this life, but I can't. But I believe I can promise you, you know, on the basis of the word of God, that there is a time coming and you will be healed. 
that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been saved by his death on the cross, there is a time coming when you will be healed and that pain will be gone and it will be passed and it will, you will be able to look back on it, as one translation says, that, you know, as, a, as a slight momentary affliction because of the glory that, Paul, that God holds out for us as well. God is going to do something great. Now that Paul says, in fact, you're going to need some help getting through this, and the help you're going to get is from the Holy Spirit. Now remember, we believe that God is one God, but that in a, in a mysterious way that's almost impossible for us to understand, that one God exists in three parts, three persons. God the Father, the Creator. God the Son, who became Jesus, the man who died on the cross. And God the Holy Spirit, whom God sends to be in us. And so when you become a Christian... When you give your life to Christ and accept the forgiveness that he's offered to you, become one of his followers, then God gives you the Holy Spirit to live in you. And in fact, in one place it talks about the Holy Spirit being like God's brand on us. Maybe today a better word would be a tattoo. You know? God's mark on you, God's tattoo is the Holy Spirit in you. And when you see and sense the Holy Spirit working in you, you that's an evidence to you that you are indeed a son or a daughter of God. And Paul says one of the things that the Holy Spirit can help you with is even in your praying. Because suffering and pain can make praying so hard, almost impossible, I think. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how people do it. I've, I have been fortunate enough that I've never had to suffer that kind of pain. The worst I've had probably is, you know, I get the stomach flu and I'm barfing for a couple days. And at that point, even, I, I can't pray Except, take me home, Lord. You know, I just don't want to deal with this. But Paul says, I, I understand, you know, that when you're in pain, when you're depressed, it's hard even to pray. And Paul says, okay, that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit can help you with. You know, I remember when Dave and Linda Bartlett shared with us uh, about the death of their son, um, ben and their two grandchildren, and when they got the phone call saying that they had been killed, and they packed the car and began to drive down to Florida. And I remember Dave saying as he drove those hours, he couldn't even pray. There were no words he could say. It was just pain. And he said all he could do was groan, was groan. And that's the exact word that Paul uses here. Let me read it to you. This is in verses 26 and 27. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows our hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. It's just like when you're in that pain and you, you can't even pray, you feel so separated from God and so overwhelmed by the pain. It's like the Holy Spirit says here, you know, give those groans, give those groans, those pains to me, and I'll take them to the Father on your behalf. That he intercedes for us, that he puts words where we don't even have words. Or at those times when we just get so anxious and confused, we don't even know what to pray for. How do we, how do we even pray in a situation like this? And so the Holy Spirit takes our confusion where I'm saying to God, I, I don't even know what I want. I don't know what I need. I don't know how to pray. And the Holy Spirit takes it and conforms it to the will of God and presents it to God in prayer. 
And so when you're in your suffering, know that the Holy Spirit of God is right there in you, with you, to help you, you know, even in the midst of praying. And then Paul makes this incredible promise in verse 28. And um, this is for many people, maybe their favorite verse in the Bible. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. What, what an amazing promise Paul is giving us there on the word of, of God himself. That no matter how bad our situation is, we have a God who is able to bring good out of it. Now notice, this isn't a blanket promise that's made to everyone. This is a promise that Paul says applies to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. That if you're a child of God, you can believe this, that our God is so big, so knowledgeable, so wise, that God can take the very worst situation in your life, as bad as it is, and I'm not saying it's not bad. It may be terribly evil, terribly bad, but God can bring good out of it. Have you, have you ever tried to do that yourself? I I have. A bad situation. I try to bring something good, something beautiful out of it. it reminds me of a few years ago when, when Sally and I got a, a new stove and it had a, a microwave and a vent on it as well. And apparently, when they installed the stove, different people had to come to install the microwave because it had to be vented or something. So we got the stove in, and that afternoon I thought, well, I could at least take down the microwave get that much done anyway. It looked like it was just held up by four screws, so I unscrewed one, two, three. I got to the fourth screw, and I'm unscrewing the, the last screw. Microwaves are heavier than you might realize <laughs> just looking at them. They look like they're just empty, but they're not. So, of course, I get the last screw out, and I drop it on the glass top stove, which we've only had for a few hours and have never used. The good thing about it was that Sally was gone at that time. So I thought, all right, I'm a creative person. I can bring something good and beautiful out of this. It doesn't have to be such a terribly stupid thing that I did. Um, so I took a tablecloth and put it over in a basket of flowers. I think we actually have a picture of what it looked like there. What? I thought it looked really, really nice. And that Sally probably wouldn't even notice for days. See, I don't have it in me to take a bad situation and make it good, but God does. God is so big, so powerful, so wise that he can even work in the most painful situations to bring good. And the good it says that he's going to bring is not that you're going to be happy, not that you're going to be successful or wealthy. The good is that God is going to use that in your life to accomplish his purpose and his will for you. God is going to use that in his life to help you become more like your Savior, Jesus Christ. God is able to work in the midst of evil and failure and pain and bring about good. So Paul kind of ends this section by saying, so really from beginning to end, it's God. And he gives this beautiful closing then in verses 29 and 30. He says, you know, for God knew his people in advance. Think about that. Before you were born even, God knew you and loved you. 
God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. From beginning to end, before you are born, God calls you, knows you, and loves you. And he's at work to accomplish his will in you and through you from beginning to end. And the hope we have is that we may be in the middle of that process, and it may be a painful time, but have sure, confident hope God is still in control. And so in this section of this letter that Paul wrote, I think he lays out a pretty important truth for us to understand. So I tried to kind of outline it for you. Let's, uh, let's look at this together. I, I think what it's saying is, because of sin and the fall, earth is subjected to decay and death, and our bodies are subjected to decay and death. But there is a sure hope. We and the earth will be made new. And our suffering is temporary. And the Holy Spirit is in us, an evidence of our adoption. He helps us in our praying. And that God can use even our suffering to accomplish his will from beginning to end. It's God, and may the glory be his. Let's pray. Lord God, amazing God, I pray for those friends today who are dealing with pain that I can't even imagine, dealing with discouragement and failure and hopelessness. I thank you, Lord God, that you're with us, that you give us your Holy Spirit to help us, even in the little things like praying to you, and that we have that sure hope that someday we will receive healing and new life through Jesus Christ. Amen. 